I think it used to be legend has it quote unquote legend because I don't know how much of it is legend or just bullshit. But I think it used to be like a prison or some sort of asylum way back in the day. It's like a really big property with a lot of land. And then it was eventually converted into uh, high school. But yeah, that's the the shot from above that you see of the school that Peter Parker goes to is Franklin K. Lane. Fun fact. What up, what up, folks? What's going on? Welcome to the Spun Today podcast, the only podcast that is anchored in writing, but unlimited in scope. I'm your host, Tony Ortiz, and I appreciate you listening. This is episode 206 of the Spun Today podcast. And in this episode, I speak about watching the movies, The Batman and Spider-Man No Way Home. I also speak about watching Gerard Carmichael's latest comedy special, Rothaniel, Bill Maher's latest comedy special, Hashtag Adulting, and getting to see Joe Coy live at UBS Arena in Long Island, New York. Stick around for all that good stuff, but before we get into the episode, please take a moment to listen to a way that you can help support the Spun Today podcast. Your support means a ton, and it helps me to be able to do more of what I love, which is more writing, more podcasting, and creating more content. For you, my very much so appreciated listeners. Here's a quick way that you can help support the show. You can support the Spun Today podcast by checking out my writing. You can go to spuntoday.com forward slash free writing and check out some of my free association writing, which is intended to be some cathartic free writing, but oftentimes doubles down as motivation for myself and others. At spuntoday.com forward slash short stories, you can read a bunch of the different short stories that I've written and actually listen to the audiobook versions of those short stories there as well. Another way you can help support my writing is by going to spuntoday.com forward slash books and checking out what I have in store for sale. Digital copies are available in all formats, whether it be Kindle, iBooks, or a different type of e-reader. You can also purchase paperback copies if that's your preferred reading method. Currently available, I have my nonfiction, Make Way For You, which is a collection of freely written thoughts that were curated and put together as tips for getting out of your own way. Also available is my debut time travel novel titled Fractal. Again, go to spuntoday.com forward slash books to show your support. The Batman was written by Matt Reeves, who's also the director, and Peter Craig, based on the iconic character created by Bill Finger and Bob Kane. And here is the official synopsis. When the Riddler, a sadistic serial killer, begins murdering key political figures in Gotham, Batman is forced to investigate the city's hidden corruption and question his family's involvement. Now, just so my listeners know where I stand in terms of like my favorite Batman and movies within the Batman franchise, I'd say that Michael Keaton is the GOAT, but I understand that that's a result of a possible bias of me being an 80s baby and him just being the first Batman that I saw aside from, you know, the Adam West TV show Batman, but he was the first Batman that I saw in terms of a movie and, you know, in Batman, the original and Batman Returns. But I just thought he was one, the perfect Bruce Wayne. And 
a great Batman. So just in terms of best bang for your buck on those two sides of the character, I think you get that with Michael Keaton. Speaking of which, I'm really excited that DC has gone the route of the extended universe and like this multiverse following the footsteps of uh, Marvel with the multiverse thing, where which allows for, you know, different movies and different characters, uh, different actors playing the same characters and just different storylines that are completely unrelated. Some could overlap, some don't necessarily have to. And it's a, a great way to kind of explain away and allow for inconsistencies while creating stories that can exist within their own bubble within their own vacuum and we get to see amazing movies like the joker the joaquin phoenix one alongside and separate from like all the classics right now in terms of batman films batman movies i would say the dark knight trilogy is by far the best and i definitely don't think that that's an unpopular opinion so i'm not gonna qualify that one much and Christian Bale, in my opinion, does a good job as Bruce Wayne. Also a good job as Batman. I hate that like fake voice shit that like always throws me off and has. But in terms of like story and characters and like Keith Ledger's Joker, Tom Hardy's Bane. I mean, you just can't get better. Now, that said, I'd say that the Batman was really good. I definitely enjoyed it. It was a different take on the character on both Batman and Bruce Wayne. Which again, this extended universe allows for, right? Which is what I enjoy. I enjoy that creativity of it, or that aspect of it rather. And we see instead of the usual billionaire playboy Bruce Wayne, who's always in the limelight, everybody loves, we see this version played by Robert Pattinson, who did a really good job, I thought, of a recluse, an introverted, weird, didn't want to be in the limelight version of Bruce Wayne. So it takes a little getting used to from that aspect because, you know, it's not the, you know, gregarious type of character that we're, we're used to seeing in Bruce Wayne. But I liked it. I like that, like, bend. And it kind of went more with the story of, you know, this kid who gets his parents get murdered in front of him, at least in terms of like that origin story, at a very young age, grows up with his butler as his guardian. You know, even being a billionaire, you can definitely see a path where he becomes that weird, awkward recluse versus the limelight seeking billionaire. So it's definitely cool to see Matt Reeves and Peter Craig play with that a bit. And in terms of Batman, I thought Robert Pattinson exceeded my expectations. Like he looked apart, definitely has like that like chiseled jawline thing going on that lends itself to the Batman, you know, mask and outfit and shit. He didn't have that like fake voice. You know, he seemingly, you know, disguised his voice a bit, but just like in a more natural sense versus the I think it was like a like a strip of something that was put on Bruce Wayne's neck by his like Adam's apple that would literally alter his voice or something like that which I didn't like from the Dark Knight trilogy but we didn't have that here and the movie takes place in circa 2004 and it's two years after Bruce Wayne developed the Batman and the movie definitely had a a darkness to it a, a gritty feel which was similar to the dark knight trilogy but it was way darker and i believe if i'm not mistaken that part of the reasoning for that is that the source material that was used which is this called year one written by frank miller and the long halloween by jeff Loeb, which are darker versions of batman 
at least within those comics. And my understanding is that the Batman used these as a, a primary like source material, similar to, and similarly, the Dark Knight trilogy does as well. And I could be off on that, but I think that may be reason for the similarity that I'm picking up between the two. So since it takes place uh, within like two years of him becoming Batman, he's not like as advanced, you know, he's not the omnipotent presence that we're used to with a gadget for every single scenario. So in that sense, he's kind of like growing into that role of becoming that level of Batman that we're all used to. But now in this movie, we see him getting hurt more. You know, he definitely still has gadgets, you know, he's a billionaire and, and he's kind of like laser focused on this vigilante justice thing that is the Batman and seemingly obsessed with it. But we can tell that he doesn't have everything worked out just yet, which was cool to see as well. It definitely gave the movie a more like realistic feel, a realistic tone. Even his car, the Batmobile is kind of like a, a souped up muscle car as opposed to being like a fucking spaceship on wheels like all the other Batmobiles that we've seen. And it helps that it takes place in 2004-ish, where the technology use in the movie had to account for that time period. Another aspect that I liked, which I don't know if it was like direct reference to one of the comics or if it was just a result of creative license, was this idea of the Wayne family not having this altruistic, benevolent history and being completely squeaky clean, which I felt like the Joker movie also played with a little bit with Bruce Wayne's dad possibly having an affair with a woman and the Joker being the illegitimate son of that relationship. In the Batman, they detailed it as the Wayne family and the Arkham family being like the founding families of Gotham, you know, like the fucking Rockefellers and Vanderbilts of that world. Which is cool because you always hear of Arkham Asylum as, you know, like the mental institution uh, within this world, but never really thought I at least never really thought of like the Arkham family or, you know, what the institution is or who the institution is named after. So they made it again as like the Wayne and the Arkham families being the founding families of Gotham, but that the Wayne family in particular had this checkered past where Bruce Wayne's grandmother did a murder suicide, killing her husband and then herself a la Phil Hartman's wife. And then their daughter, Bruce Wayne's mother, went a little nutty behind that, understandably so, and was committed to Arkham Asylum, which was something that Bruce Wayne's father, Thomas Wayne, went to great lengths to cover up. And there was a reporter that began uncovering this. Uh, Bruce Wayne tried to like pay him off because he was like running for mayor at the time, didn't want any like negative press. The reporter was relentless you know he was still going to come out with the story shout out to journalistic integrity right but then thomas wayne went to carmine falcone played by the amazing john torturo by the way and asked him to essentially scare this reporter into not coming out with any of those stories carmine falcone apparently took that upon himself to whack the reporter not just scare him and it was interesting to you know one see that like checkered past kind of reinforce the fact that Bruce Wayne is like this troubled soul who doesn't really know who he is and is trying to find himself and whole held his parents and his father in particular like on this high pedestal and then finding out this negative shit about him making him realize that his dad was also a flawed individual like the rest of us 
And now the Riddler, played by Paul Dano, who did an amazing job, by the way. I really, really enjoyed the, the character of the Riddler. I always have. The only time I've ever seen him played before was Jim Carrey's version. And that the whole movie, the Batman Forever, I think it was, where George, George Clooney played Batman. Which George Clooney, by the way, he was a shit Batman, but a great Bruce Wayne, I thought. At least that, like, life of the party, you know, version of Bruce Wayne Playboy. But that whole movie was, like, corny and more, like, comedic and, I don't know, it was, like, over the top. And Jim Carrey, of course, did a, a great job, but played the Riddler in that, like, wacky kind of the Frank Gorshin version of the Riddler, like, from the Adam West Batman series. This version of the Riddler, again, played by... Paul Dano did a great job of this super smart, psychotic, serial killer, loner character. It's kind of reminiscent of like a one of those like troubled teen white boy school shooters. Like those like loner types that really just want some acceptance and some community and like seek it in unorthodox ways, like online as they portrayed in, in this movie and yet like on an obscure message board. The following of a couple hundred lunatics but his character which is the main antagonist of the movie was on a mission to uncover all these quote-unquote lies of the origins of gotham itself and he started off by as i detailed in the synopsis killing key political figures and corrupt politicians and cops and luring batman to come after him so that he can uncover these stories of the wayne family and its checkered past and that's how Bruce Wayne himself came to learn about these things. So it's definitely a really interesting storyline there. Another great character was Selena Kyle slash Catwoman, played by Zoe Kravitz. She did great. She's one of the, you know, like there's certain actors or actresses that play a role and it like fits them like a glove. Like for me, like in terms of Catwoman, Michelle Pfeiffer is like the number one. She was like born for that role, in my opinion. And since then, I don't think anyone has done that role justice the closest i'd say maybe halle berry but that's more me being biased towards you know halle berry being dope but zoe kravitz i think is like the closest to that especially like within this version of selena kyle and catwoman this more gritty grungy early 2000s era i thought she was great and she kind of like layered the character in just making you interested in her as selena kyle not just based on the fact that she was catwoman but she just made that Selena Kyle character interesting. Alfred, played by Andy Serkis, I thought they did a great job with as well. And Alfred kind of goes through like different iterations, right? Like the keeper of all Batman slash Bruce Wayne's secrets to his confidants, his right hand. I kind of like that this one was, they were more distant, it seemed, Alfred and Bruce Wayne. They made a point of, or at least I felt this way, I'm not making it seem like too much like that father-son type of dynamic. And there was an actual scene where Bruce Wayne tells him, you know, you're not my father. And he's like, I'm well aware. And I felt that was important to play up the fact that Alfred was Bruce's father's, you know, butler, but longtime friend and confidant. And he was kind of like looking after Bruce afterwards, obviously, you know, being his guardian and all. But that his allegiance is really to Thomas Wayne because it gave more, I guess, like credence or more weight to his descriptions of what happened with that like Wayne legacy and when Bruce confronted him saying oh you lied to me you know I found all this stuff out about my dad and you never told me about any of it the fact that Alfred was doing it more so to protect Thomas Wayne versus Bruce Wayne 
it gave that fact like more credibility in my opinion now two more characters that i'll mention that definitely stood out to me is oswald cobblepot aka the penguin played by colin farrell which i would have never known if i would have never looked this up if i would have never you know been into like who played who in the movie colin farrell played the penguin shout out to the makeup artist makeup and design he looks nothing like colin farrell he looks nothing like himself <laughs> at all and did such a phenomenal job i thought with this character like so much so that i feel like he could be like his own like spin-off or definitely you know in a, a sequel to to the batman play a larger role as they kind of hint at towards the end with their being a power vacuum and now there's going to be a power grab in the underworld yeah i could definitely see him coming back and playing a much larger role in a sequel and i like this character in particular because they didn't make him like danny devito's penguin which was great by the way in batman returns but it was like much more comic booky right like he was born with this weird deformity that he had actual like flippers and shit but the colin farrell penguin was again true to the realistic kind of through line of this movie it was just like a drug dealing underboss who owned the club where a lot of like crooked and nefarious characters would frequent and kind of like a scarred up deformed face but was like an actual person you know with ties to organized crime and that just made him as a character much more easily digestible in my opinion jeffrey wright played lieutenant james gordon again did a great job but it's like jeffrey wright can't do anything wrong you know what i mean like he's such a great actor even though he's not my favorite uh lieutenant gordon my favorite is actually the one from the dark knight but even still jeffrey wright did a phenomenal job with that role he was believable as a, a good cop good police as they would say in the wire that was trying to work and operate within a cesspool of corruption now the last thing i'd say which is something that i didn't like is that i didn't like that there was no post-credit scene which fucking sucks and this is a note to all the comic book movie making folks in the world marvel has spoiled us to the point that now there's usually like within marvel movies two post-credit scenes it's like a mid-credit post-credit scene and then a post post-credit scene and i for one have become accustomed to that shit and i want to see my post-credit scene <laughs> so it's like that this movie did not have it but what it did have was a deleted scene if you watch it on hbo max where the batman is currently now streaming you can definitely see a deleted scene with the joker which is about like five or six minutes long which would have made for a dope post-credit scene i wonder if they did that in the movie theater if they used that as a post-credit scene but if not they should have the joker was played by barry keoghan who is this irish actor that was in the eternals marvel movie and shout out again to makeup and design i don't know exactly what you call them the makeup artist because he looked incredible looked absolutely nothing like him they gave him a more gory kind of all fucked up like stitches and cuts and all over his face and his head and it was reminiscent to at least like one of the or origin stories of the joker where he fell like in a vat of acid which is what like changed his skin color and stuff like that but his face was all cut up and just a disturbed creepy looking version of the joker like heath ledger-ish in terms of like the scarring with like the smile on his face and shit but just like a shitload more like scarring and deformity and missing hair you know patches of hair on his head and in the deleted scene batman goes to visit him at arkham because he's an inmate there 
and they're behind the glass and Batman goes to him for help to try to find out who the Riddler is to show him the Riddler's file and see you know what he thinks of it and it's definitely an interesting scene that looks to you know build up future uh, sequels to this version of the Batman but yeah it'll definitely be interesting to see that character fleshed out a bit more as well and that folks is my little recap and review of the Batman released in 2022 and streaming now on HBO Max definitely check it out Spider-Man No Way Home was written by Chris McKenna and Eric Summers and it's based on the character created by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko and here's the official synopsis with Spider-Man's identity now revealed Peter asks Doctor Strange for help when a spell goes wrong dangerous foes from other worlds start to appear forcing Peter to discover what it truly means to be Spider-Man now within the Spider-Man world I'd say and this is probably well, I don't know if it's an unpopular opinion but I'm a Tobey Maguire Spider-Man guy I don't know if it's for nostalgic reasons or if it was again him being the first one in like this new age of you know big Marvel superhero movies but just that like nerdy underdog Peter Parker character who knocked out the park and Spider-Man not so much but since he's like completely you know masked and has a suit from top to bottom from head to toe I feel like you're like less relying on Tobey Maguire himself to portray Spider-Man whereas like a, a Batman who's like half masked or a Superman you like see the actual actor more but that said Tom Holland is an extremely close second definitely the best since Tobey Maguire and probably better if I was being objective but he's so fucking good at, at the role and Andrew Garfield I thought was good as well you know I wasn't mad at it but Tom Holland definitely takes the cake oh and something that I loved in this movie that I actually forgot to mention in my little recap and review of the Batman is something that if you're not a New Yorker i.e. you don't live in New York and if you don't have Spectrum Cable and if you don't watch New York One this won't mean anything to you but I loved seeing and a lot of uh, like superhero movies and movies in general use them but uh, the New York One news anchors uh, within Spider-Man similar uh, to the Batman and I've seen them in movies like uh, Bright the Will Smith movie you just see them all the time and it's like dope to see because I watch New York One all the time and it's like oh shit look it's Annika or look it's Pat Kiernan etc etc so that's uh pretty cool to see also speaking of new york and the fact that spider-man is from queens shout out to queens the best borough as spider-man school they use at least uh from the outside like the view of it uh they use franklin k lane which i don't live too far from and it was actually my zoned high school back in the day and i thankfully didn't have to go to it because it was like the quote-unquote bad high school i think it's been like cleaned up and and better now but got so bad that they had to like break it down into four different schools within one i think like four different charters or not sure exactly how that works but yeah it was like the the school that as a junior high school kid going into high school you definitely avoided going to <laughs> definitely had a bad reputation but it's cool to see it's like um i think it used to be legend has it quote unquote legend because i don't know how much of it is legend or just bullshit but i think it used to be like a prison or some sort of asylum way back in the day so it's like a really big property with a lot of land and then it was eventually converted into a uh, high school 
but yeah, that's the the shot from above that you see of the school that Peter Parker goes to is Franklin K. Lane. Fun fact. And they did a good job of, uh, I guess, like covering the J train. Like they show the train, but kind of cover the fact that it's like the J train station or whatever. Now, something I'd say uh, about the Marvel multiverse movies, and it's weird because it took uh, Jack Snyder's cut of the DC uh, Justice, uh, the Snyder cut of the Justice League for me to be able to conceptualize this, but I, I couldn't wrap my head around the whole multiverse concept and like the extended Marvel universe. Even with, I know like the Doctor Strange movie like set this up and even that cartoon Spider-Man movie, the Into the Spider-Verse, which was good, you know, played around with this concept and idea of there being a multiverse, you know, multiple universes. But yeah, it took the, for some reason, for me, it, it like hit me like a ton of bricks. For me to like get it and wrap my head around it, it took that Justice League movie for it to make sense to me. And then now I get it. It's basically... You have multiple universes. And again, that's why you have you can have a Tobey Maguire Spider-Man and Andrew Garfield Spider-Man, a Tom Holland Spider-Man, all these different characters with one of them has Mary Jane as a girlfriend. One of them has the MJ played by Zendaya, but the MJ stands for something else. And you have like different bad guys and sometimes different characters playing the same bad guy. And it's just like a multiverse, which is ultimately like the concept of there being an infinite number of realities going on simultaneously to the point that somewhere out there in the universe there is another version of tony wearing the exact same shirt that i'm wearing now recording the exact same podcast that i'm recording now but in that tony's universe instead of it being the spun today podcast it's the spun yesterday podcast or something like that you know what i mean like it could be like little changes like that or that tony could be black or that Tony could be single or he could have three kids instead of two and et cetera, et cetera. And I don't know why I couldn't get it before. Like I, I was trying to reconcile the fact, wait, but how does this work? If Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man wise, how could this guy also be Spider-Man? And you know, it's still the same time period and it's a, but that explains it all. Right. And this movie was kind of like the culmination of that concept because it shows with Dr. Strange's fucked up spell or when the spell got fucked up, how the different timelines intertwined, which is why we got to see Andrew Garfield as Peter Parker slash Spider-Man. We got to see Tobey Maguire as Peter Parker slash Spider-Man, all existing, coexisting at the same time, which is cool for nostalgic purposes, but made for a really dope movie. And we got to see throwback villains, which were great, like Electro, which was Jamie Foxx's character, The Green Goblin by Willem Dafoe, Dr. Otto Octavius, played by Alfred Molina, so this movie did a great job of bringing all those worlds together and just underscoring that multiverse fact, underscoring the existence of that multiverse. And I thought that was really cool. And it kind of sucked that in a the previous uh, Spider-Mans with Tom Holland, it was kind of cool that his best friend and Aunt May, played by Marissa Tomei, his best friend Ned, played by Jacob uh, Batalon, and his girl... MJ played by Zendaya, like they all knew who Spider-Man was. But then when everybody found out who he was, it started causing issues for his loved ones. And him, you know, trying to be like the good guy and like making all that right, went to Doctor Strange, as I 
said in the synopsis to you know cast his spell so that nobody knew who he was again but then like mid spell he was like oh wait but i, I still want my girl to know i still want my best friend to know i still want me to know etc etc and that like fucked everything up and caused the convergence of the multiverse and ultimately to make it all right spoiler alert he had to be okay with the anonymity again with creating a spell where nobody knew who he was nobody knew who spider-man was nobody knew even uh, peter parker was essentially so his girl his best friend they ultimately become strangers to him and it was sad because he kind of like had it all um you know pre this movie you know with those loved ones like the closest people to him knew that aspect of him you know he was able to share that and be open with them which was dissimilar from you know most superheroes and previous iterations of of spider-man but in a very butterfly effect-esque kind of way it's like when he had it all everybody else in his life was miserable and in order to make them not miserable he had to not have it all and he essentially had to become miserable although the selflessness of the spider-man character allows him to be okay with that as long as his loved ones are okay spider-man's such a dope character in that way and one of the movies that i really liked that i feel was underrated and i actually haven't seen the second one i think there's a part two but the first venom movie the tom hardy venom this whole expanded universe thing now allows for you know overlaps there and in the post-credit scene shout out to post-credit scenes there's a scene where the tom hardy venom essentially says that he has to go to where spider-man's at and meet spider-man so i'm definitely looking forward to that spider-man no way home check it out gerard carmichael rothaniel is his latest stand-up comedy special released in 2022 and is available on hbo max this is his third hbo stand-up comedy special he filmed it in february of 2022 before a live audience at the legendary blue note jazz club in new york city uh, i didn't know that i just read that it was written and performed by gerard carmichael and directed by bo burnham i think gerard carmichael is dope i've enjoyed his previous specials the carmichael show which was only i want to say two seasons may have been one but i think two then he decided to step away from it i felt like that show was great and it had a potential to be like a really really good introspective type sitcom and i was definitely bummed out when he decided to step away from it now from the beginning his new special came off as very artistic this is why i was like oh that makes sense now um because he had jazz playing in the background and at the be in the beginning you see like different sh uh, streets in new york city and the snow falling and it's him but you don't know it's him making his way to the blue note jazz club and just you just see like light flurries and snow falling and it's with these nice visuals of different new york city streets in the dusk with jazz music playing in the background and then you realize it's him when he walks into the club and takes off his jacket hands it off to someone who's waiting there for him and then makes his way to the stage and the way it's shot just like visually the like a, a nice blue lighting and the club felt intimate and the way it was shot just it felt me as a viewer watching it from home like actually felt like i was in the club if that makes any sense because normally like specials are in like a theater setting sometimes like even in like arena setting or like a big theater or even when it's in an intimate room you kind of get like a wide wide shot i feel of like the audience and you feel like somebody watching it on tv that's watching an audience that's watching the stage 
with this one though and i'm not sure what it was that bo burnham did exactly if it was like all the close-ups or or what it was but i just felt like i was in the audience plus the audience felt it felt like a small room like i have no idea what the size of it is the blue note jazz club but it did not feel like a like a big room and it helped for this uh gerard's uh style of comedy and specifically with this set because it was a very introspective intimate special it was funny because gerard is a, a funny comic in my opinion but like the genre of this was definitely it wasn't like over the top funny it wasn't silly funny it wasn't political funny it was much more introspective here's my human experience type of funny and i definitely appreciate that and the way it was shot again definitely uh lends itself to that it was reminiscent of and you guys can go back and, and listen to this neil brennan special unacceptable which i saw live and i broke down during episode 197 of the spontaneity podcast in case you guys want to go back and reference but like i would put that and this like within the same genre if that makes sense like it was definitely funny in moments but i feel like there was more of an emotional weight to it and there was a theme within this special of living with secrets and gerard details how growing up he knew and found out it was like first in his family kind of to find out that his father was cheating on his mother and his mother was actually like the side piece quote-unquote family and his father had like this whole other family in life and living with that secret as a kid and then eventually like forcing his father to tell his mother which he knew would uh, break his mom's heart and he starts off the special with telling us that he has a secret because uh that he's never told us his audience before in that his first name he never shares everybody always thought his name was gerard carmichael but gerard is actually his second name and in this special he was just like putting it all out there and sharing all his secrets that being one of them which is why the special is titled rothaniel because <laughs> that's actually his first name and it's something that he a uh, name that he was uh, like always ashamed of and even he says like back in high school he used to pay off the people that put together the yearbook to like take off his legal first name and just use Gerard and Rothaniel was a combination of his father's father's name and his mother's father's name so is both his grandparents on, on either side it was a combination of both their names Rothaniel and then the big quote-unquote bombshell is that in this special he comes out as gay and he just details his like struggles of you know coming from a religious black family growing up in the hood being in entertainment and you know all things that don't lend itself too well to being gay and his struggles of hiding it from his friends his family until this point in time you know leading up to the special where he started coming out to friends and family and eventually to us on and by us i mean his you know fans his audience in this hbo special and it's definitely a tough thing to do it seems like right like you never hear stories of or at least i don't of oh you know coming out the closet was so easy and you know it's always like a harrowing hard thing for folks to do which sucks just like feeling as if you have to live that lie and i say you know feeling as if you have to live that lie coming from the type of or at least my mentality of you know i am who i am take it or leave it if you're not cool with that and you've been my friend for 20 years then fuck you cut off the cancer type of mentality but i understand that that's not a 
that's not everybody's demeanor. That's not, I don't even know if it would be my demeanor if I were in that situation. And he even touches on it. He was like, how do you reconcile the fact, and I'm going to paraphrase a bit, but how do you reconcile the fact of, you know, as you grow, as you evolve, sometimes you have to, you know, cut people out of your life. But how do you reconcile that when that person is your mother or when that person is your brother or when that person is, you know, a loved one? And as a longtime Gerard Carmichael fan, I definitely feel for him, seems to be in a happier place, a freer place. You know, I've seen him since host SNL and, you know, joke around about it. And I'm definitely happy for him. And um, just kind of sucks that it's something that he had to wrestle with and, and go through for all these years. Now, two things that I want to highlight from the special as well. I loved how descriptive it was, how just like from a writing perspective, I like detail. And I like how he was telling us um, he was going through a bit of how when he found his his dad's porn stash and he described precisely how it was like in a closet, in a Nike box on the left hand side between a jar of nickels and his dad's gun. <laughs> and just like you could like visualize that closet and that room and how he mentioned that the tape was actually of his parents fucking. And it took him a minute to recognize the room. And he was like, hey, I know those sheets. They had pineapples on them. <laughs> but yeah, I definitely appreciate that descriptive level of detail. And something dope that Gerard has always been able to do, in my opinion, even though it's obviously a set, you know, that's a rehearsed to a certain extent. Obviously, you know, it's a taping of a HBO special. But he has the ability to be very conversational everything just comes off as like natural and like in the moment and i think that takes a a certain type of comic to be able to pull that off so you know hats off and kudos to him and that was all compounded by the fact that he made the setting such that he allowed for not heckling but like the crowd jumped in and asked questions throughout the taping which was interesting and definitely lent itself to the in the momentness of the feel of the special but yeah man it was definitely a dope special i recommend it you guys should definitely check it out gerard carmichael rothaniel streaming now on hbo max check it out bill maher's latest comedy special adulting filmed at miami's fillmore theater written and executive produced and performed obviously by bill maher and directed by ryan polito my brother put me onto this one. Shout out to David, Spun Today alum, and told me it was worth a watch. I personally have been a fan of Bill Maher's for a long time. I think even back to the politically incorrect days, but definitely with uh, Real Time with Bill Maher. I've gotten a couple of his New Rules books, which is a segment on the show. I did fall off from watching his show a bit. Like I used to watch, not religiously, but very often. I fell off a bit, but as of late, I've been like revisiting watching either like the interview segment some of the panel discussions definitely is like new rules and is wrap up are amongst my my favorites and as of late he's been on a tear bill maher and something i appreciate and i've always appreciated about bill maher is that he's a liberal as am i but he's not one of these democrats that believe that anyone within the democratic party can do no wrong and that it's blasphemous to say so if someone does and that everyone on the other side is the devil he doesn't think that way he criticizes his own party as his right to do so when warranted and i know he gets a lot of flack and shit for it he is 
not afraid to reach to the other side of the aisle. You know, frequently has conservatives on his panel opposing viewpoints. Goes on other conservative shows, for example, like um, fairly recently he was on the Ben Shapiro show, which I like as well. Although obviously don't believe with a lot of his views, but he's always embodied that spirit of open conversation, dialogue, and not just othering people saying, oh, you believe that? So forget you, you're not even worth the conversation. And I think we're seeing the logical conclusion of that type of mentality play out in large part in society today with how divided we are, especially politically, and how people's political views have divided friendships and even families, extremely and unnecessary polarizing. It's okay to have opposite viewpoints on anything, folks. It really is. (laughs) But yeah, so I always appreciated that about Bill Maher. And the special was good. It was entertaining. It was, if you're a Bill Maher fan, you you know, you're going to get what you expect. I like how over time as well, he's he's kind of like doubled down on that sentiment, that spirit of being self-critical of his own party when so many people have gone the opposite route, like that woke route of we can do no wrong. And the other side is so horrible that it doesn't matter what we do. And that's definitely refreshing to see. But he had some funny bits about one in particular is like rating Uber drivers. And he's like, now we're in a society where every single thing has to be planned out, which me, I'm I'm a planner. Guilty. (laughs) But um, he highlights like the downfalls of that within uh, using this example of of Uber. And he's like, now you're even asked if you want to have a quiet car or have a conversation with the Uber driver. And he's like, I don't know. Why don't we just fucking wing it today? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, why does every single thing have to be planned? Much to my chagrin. And uh, about rating each other. And he's like, so now I'm I'm in a car with the Uber driver who is going to get a rating from me. I'm going to get a rating from him. I don't want to talk to him. He probably doesn't want to talk to me either. But we're forced to do so and posing as such just to get a good rating from either or he was like i don't want to be fucking rating him i don't i don't want to think of him after i get out the car and he's like i don't give a shit if you kill the next passenger that you pick up it's none of my fucking business (laughs) and that's like a a theme uh throughout the special of you know just minding your business which i'm definitely on for to each his own right he pokes at uh millennials and i like this line he goes uh I forget the exact like build up to it, but he was like, uh, we discovered that the the clitoris has 8,000 nerve endings and it's almost as sensitive as millennials are. That was hilarious. Then he takes another, another poke at millennials. He was like, millennials complain so much about boomers saying you ruined the world. You ruined our, you know, you left us a, a fucked up world. You ruined it for us. And he's like, the oldest millennials are like 40 years old now. You guys have been through like five election cycles it's your world take it you want it fucking take it and he was like that's the problem with you millennials you grew up stealing music and now you expect that everything should be free you want it you want the fucking world take it he was highlighting also how this uh social media generation the online generation is it's very much so faking your life you know what i mean he was like nobody puts negative shit on instagram really you know it's always like the highlights of all the positive and all the good times and all the good stuff but yeah it was definitely a good special it was worth the watch Again, if you are a Bill Maher fan, you get what you expect, you know, especially if you watch the show and his opening monologues and stuff like that. It's pretty much an extended version of that. He takes digs at religion like he always does. And, you know, hats off to Bill Maher for staying true to who he is, especially and even so after all these years and, you know, being within the corporate 
HBO environment, but still being able to maintain his creative control and staying true to who he is. And actually, let me play for you guys the preview of the special. Look, every generation is the what were you thinking generation. Doctors used to do cigarette ads. A lung surgeon needs steady hands. Have you noticed that Trump, unlike every other president, did not age in office? We did. Not that I would ever get work done, not for any moral reason. It's just, it doesn't work. Now you just look old and weird. We have to find our way back from not loathing each other. Facebook, stop using it to argue with some kid you went to third grade with about Brett Kavanaugh. People didn't used to talk politics all the time and they had no idea how much they hated each other. Bill Maher, his new special, Hashtag Adulting, is available now streaming on HBO Max. Joe Coy and his Funny is Funny tour. We got to see him live, my wife Zoila, sister-in-law Yudi, and brother-in-law Raul, aka Rumi, all Spontare alum. Shout out to them. We went on a double date to go see Joe Coy in Long Island, UBS Arena, which, by the way, was a lot closer to the crib than I thought. And I'm definitely looking forward to going there again. We had a great experience there. Like the staff, the personnel, the just the, like the venue was cool. It was my first time there. And we got these tickets a few months ago. I want to say maybe like four or five months ago we bought it. So I like on an Instagram ad and we all decided to go. And it was for his Funny is Funny tour. Now, however, what which I didn't know at the time, and we found out when we went to the show, the taping of the actual Funny is Funny hour special had already happened at this point and this was kind of like an add-on show after the fact and, you know most comics after they you know finish touring an hour and after they film they retire that material and start developing new material so this was his first show after retiring all the material which is really interesting to see because one it's in you normally see things like that and in comics working on material in a comedy club setting so it was cool to experience from which, which, you know, I've seen a bunch of other comics do that, you know, every time I, I've been to a comedy club, you know, just working on material, but never to this scale. Joe Coy is so huge at this point that although I know he still does like clubs and smaller theaters and to work on material, he was doing this at the scale of an arena, which was just masterful, especially in comparison to like his opener and his middle act, which are really good, really funny. But you see the different levels of him as a closer, this arena level act comic doing what he does and not even with a full prepared set, just working on material and still commending the attention of the crowd. And it was a, a great time for all of us. And it was mainly crowd work and seeing in real time how he's able to like use callbacks and reference somebody that I think the guy's name was like Hogan. And then he did like a Hulk Hogan joke and he kept like circling back to that guy like throughout the throughout the evening and it was dope to see and i'm definitely anticipating watching obviously the next special after the funniest funny but one i definitely want to see the funniest funny one to see you know what i missed within like the rest of the tour of that hour but also to see what from this first developing night is kept and evolved into future bits of his something else of note which was dope is 
something I never I never realized how important it was until going to see Joe Coy. But he had a DJ with him, DJ Turbulence. Shout out to him. And he was just on stage DJing and playing music uh, throughout the entire before the show started. And then like in between the acts, he, he would call up um, from the opener uh, to the middle act to Joe Coy and then close out the show. But in the beginning, you know, while people are, you know, finding their seats and walking in and stuff like that, he was just DJing. So it was like a, a DJ show and he was super good, played dope music. I don't know if I'm biased because he was playing like probably my favorite time period of music and genre, which was like late 90s, early 2000s hip hop and R&B. So it was playing Biggie and Jay-Z and 112. And I never realized how important that is to like setting the tone for for the evening and getting everybody like amped to like watch the show. It was really cool. I really enjoyed that. And he also showed a preview uh, to a movie that he has coming out in theaters which looked pretty good. Definitely going to check it out. Tiffany Haddish is in it. It seemed like a, not a, not like a romantic comedy, but like, uh, it reminded me a little bit of just friends a little bit, which I guess was a romantic comedy, but just like the aspect of the person, like moving away from home, becoming a kind of a big shot, but not really. And then, you know, coming back home. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> look for the trailer. It's called uh, Easter Sunday. I'll actually see if I can link to it in the episode notes, if I can find it. Uh, but he premiered like the trailer during this show and that was pretty cool to see and definitely shout out to joe koi he's he's blown up like so huge he's obviously an, an arena comic he's on his fourth netflix special but if you're a fan of joe koi you know his story like he used to sell shoes at not macy's i think it was like nordstrom or something like that and you know he was a comic for i think 15 20 years or more when he tried selling his first special to or he tried getting a, a special picked up uh, by netflix and netflix turned him away and said you know i don't think that you know folks will get it what he decided to do at that point was self-fund it as a lot of comics are doing now and he was definitely a pioneer of that self-fund it so he paid for everything he paid for the taping of his own special you know editing pretty much handed netflix over a final polished version of it and said i know you guys said you didn't want to do a special with me but please you know take another look and they you know still said they weren't interested and then they wound up like calling him back and saying you know what we're gonna give it a shot we're, we're gonna buy it from you and the rest is history like blew up after that he's now on his he did a second a third and now going to be a fourth special with netflix obviously the naysayers who were like you know nobody's gonna get it nobody's gonna get you know this filipino heavy content and he believed in his vision, believed in himself, believed in his creativity, produced the shit himself, and ultimately let the non-believers continue non-believing while he kept his head down, worked hard, and proved his vision right. Shout out to Joe Coy. Definitely had a dope time getting to see Joe Coy at the UBS Arena. And that, my friends, was episode 206 of the Spun Today podcast. I appreciate each and every one of you for listening. I really, really do. I do not and will not ever take your time for granted. Thank you very, very much for taking the time to listen to my meanderings and thoughts. With that said, I want to wrap up the show with a few ways you can help support this one today podcast if you so choose. Your support allows me to free up time to record more episodes, think of creative ways to share this content with you. It allows me to do more of what I love to do 
which is writing and trying to develop stories that we will all be able to one day look back on after I write that New York Times bestseller that gets optioned and made into a movie that we all get to go see and watch those iconic words flash on the screen based on the novel by Tony Ortiz or based on the story by Tony Ortiz. And then we get to look back and be like, yo, I remember when he recorded a podcast episode about that story and told us about how it came to be and where the initial seeds of that idea came from. And now look at it. That's just going to be wild, right? Well, to get there from where I'm at now, I could definitely use your support. <laughs> and here are a few different ways that you can do just that. Peace. What's up, folks? Tony here. I hope you're enjoying this podcast as much as I enjoy producing it for you. Here are a few quick ways you can help support this show. You can support the Spun Today podcast by going to spuntoday.com forward slash support. There you'll find my merch section where you can cop the iconic podcasts versus anybody t-shirt in a wide variety of different colors and all different sizes. Also, if you're into cycling, you can cop the super soft, comfortable, minimalist design Spun Today Bike Club t-shirt. Also available in a bunch of different colors and all different sizes. There are a few other designs of different types of t-shirts. Definitely go there and check it out. SpunToday.com forward slash support. It's the merch section where you can also get a dope coffee mug. I have coffee mugs with the brand new redesigned Spun Today logo on one side and the tagline that I end every show with on the other which is start taking steps in the general direction of your dreams. The mug is available in both black and white because we don't discriminate here at the Spun Today podcast. Again, go to spuntoday.com forward slash support and check out the merch section. You can support the Spun Today podcast by checking out my writing. You can go to spuntoday.com forward slash free writing and check out some of my free association writing, which is intended to be some cathartic free writing, but oftentimes doubles down as motivation for myself and others. At spuntoday.com forward slash short stories, you can read a bunch of the different short stories that I've written and actually listen to the audiobook versions of those short stories there as well. Another way you can help support my writing is by going to spuntoday.com forward slash books and checking out what I have in store for sale. Digital copies are available in all formats, whether it be Kindle, iBooks, or a different type of e-reader. You can also purchase paperback copies if that's your preferred reading method. Currently available, I have my nonfiction, Make Way For You, which is a collection of freely written thoughts that were curated and put together as tips for getting out of your own way. Also available is my debut time travel novel titled Fractal. Again, go to spuntoday.com forward slash books to show your support. Support the Spun Today podcast by following me on social at Spun Today on Twitter, at Spun Today on Instagram. Please also check out and like my Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Spun Today, and subscribe to my YouTube page as well. On my YouTube page, not only will you get these full length episodes, but you'll also get to check out some chopped up clips and bonus content. To get to my YouTube page, just search Spun Today on YouTube or click on any of the YouTube icons on the footer of my website. Also, don't forget to rate and review this podcast wherever it is that you're listening. It really does help. The Spun Today newsletter is available to each and every one of my listeners absolutely for free. All you have to do is go to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe and drop in your email address. What I'm going to do is brighten up everybody's least favorite day of the week 
by delivering five curated things within my weekly newsletter every Monday at noon. You're going to receive a photo of the week, a recommended podcast of the week. I listen to tons of podcasts from an array of varied interests. I cherry pick the very best ones so that you can check them out. I also share a video of the week, which can be anything from a tasty recipe to a dope rap battle to an enlightening TED talk. I also share a quote of the week. And finally, for my fellow wordsmiths out there, a word of the week so that you can step up your vocab. Again, this curated list is yours absolutely free by going to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe and dropping in your email address and you can unsubscribe at any time. Again, go to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe, drop in your email address and you'll get the very next one. If you want to help support the Spun Today podcast financially, you can do so by going to spuntoday.com forward slash support. Here you'll find a few different ways that you can do so. You can shop on Amazon, but first go to my website, spuntoday.com forward slash support, click on the Amazon banner, which will take you to Amazon's website where you do your shopping like you normally do. It will not cost you anything extra, but I will get credit for driving traffic to their website. Another cool way that you can help support this show is through Patreon, where you can set up reoccurring donations to my podcast, whether it be $1 per show, $2 per show, etc. And depending on how much you choose to pledge, you will receive some Patreon perks in return. Things like free writing pieces, free bookmarks, free digital copies of my books, etc. Again, my Patreon link can be found at spuntoday.com forward slash support. You can also set up similar reoccurring payments via my Ko-fi page. And if you want to send a one-time happiness bomb donation, if you will, you can do so via my PayPal link. Again, all of which can be found at spuntoday.com forward slash support. If you're a fellow creative, a cool way that you can help support the Spun Today podcast and actually be part of the podcast is by filling out my five-question questionnaire located at spuntoday.com forward slash questionnaire. Here you'll find five open questions related to your craft, your art, what inspires you to create, what type of unrelated hobbies you're into, and what motivates you to get your work done. You can choose to remain anonymous or plug your website and your work. And once you submit your questionnaire, I read your responses on a future episode of the Spun Today podcast. It's completely free at no cost to you. And what I like to say about it is that if your responses could potentially spark inspiration in someone else, why not share that? spuntoday.com forward slash questionnaire. And as always, folks, substitute the mysticism with hard work and start taking steps in the general direction of your dreams. Thanks for listening. I love you, Aiden. I love you, Daddy.